morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to any uh, new visitors we have. There's a uh, bunch of information at the counter out the foyer there if you're looking to pick up some information about the church. Washer Community Church uh, exists to give meaningful and worship, uh, meaningful worship to God. It's creative. We also uh, seek to discover and uh, bring up disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of sign-up announcements we have. Christmas choir sign-up sheets are in the lobby. Christmas caroling sign-up sheets are in the lo lobby. Second service, we have a dedication for Theodore Roosevelt, Robert Greshman, and Edward Arthur Greshman. Betty, you want to come up? In the scriptures saying in Jeremiah that he have a future, he will not abandon us. I was born in the Philippines and growing up in a poor family and living in a tiny house, no stove. We just used wood and cooking. And growing up, um, I did not receive any gift. Sometimes we got to bed empty stomach. And when I was a child, I have favorite memory verse. It says in the scriptures in Psalms 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I decided to have my own clients, but my mom could not afford something like that. One day, our pastor inviting us for an event for the church. I saw this big brown boxes and so my teacher handed me the shoe box I'm so excited to open it teacher counted three two one and then we open it together with the other kids and when I opened my shoe box I saw a lot of items in there like the hygiene I have a washcloth pencils and I have stuffed toys and in my joy, I see a full box of crayons. I am grateful in that moment, knowing that there is people who pack a shoebox gift for me. And I am blessed because they uh, send me a box of gift that brings joy for me. I become a, a training teacher of the greatest journey, and it's impacted to me because I see those children going to church with their families and I see their smiles and joy in their eyes that when they receive um, the shoe boxes that I felt when I was received. I moved in the United States in 2016. I got married and I have two kids. And so I become a yearly volunteer for shoe boxes in our church I am so grateful for being involved in this ministry and Operation Christmas Child, knowing that through packing shoe boxes, I am allowing children all over the world to the love of Christ and bring joy to them. Good morning. Good morning. You can see that the shoeboxes do travel all over the world, and the shoeboxes that you pack will go somewhere to a child somewhere around the world. 
So as you can see, the Operation Christmas Child project is a project of Samaritan's Purse. It does seek to demonstrate God's love in a tangible way to children who are in need around the world. And together with those local churches on the other end, they do share the good news of Jesus Christ. And each gift box is filled usually with a fun toy and some hygiene items and some school supplies. And sometimes this, is, this box is the first gift that a child has ever received. So it's very fun. So we do have our boxes. They are out in the lobby. Um, you will see that some of you, if you're um, one of the um, people who get to go to Texas or Arizona for the summer or the winter, and you won't be here in November, which is November 14th through the 21st, there is a way to actually do this online as well. So you can actually virtually build a shoebox online, which is really kind of cool. Um, so I guess that's all that I have. So thank you so much. Pick up your boxes in the lobby. Yes. The question was, if you have your shoebox ready, can you bring it ahead of time? Um, I do believe so, right, Pastor? Is that right? Yeah, he says yes. You can bring your shoeboxes early. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Patty. Usher, can come forward. Praise you, Father. Again, Father, we, we gather in your name here. We thank you for your presence. May our worship be uh, uplifting to you and uh, may we uh, bring glory to Jesus Christ's name in our songs and in our offering today. And again, Father, we pray that our offerings are for first fruits from our, our labors, Father, and uh, not any leftovers because uh, you're not a leftover God. You are the God, the God that we came here to worship today, Father. So bless you. May you be praised. In Jesus' name I pray. Or, or he gives us some scripture that we go to. And so that's going to be the same thing that's going to happen today. That's why I called it uh, Peter Goes Way Back. And um, let me read first this passage of scripture. We have it up there, but let me read it out of our scripture journals this morning. The word of God says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patient, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's bow our heads in short prayer. Heavenly Father, as always, we thank you for your word that has come from you, inerrant, infallible word of God that we read and study and we apply we thank you for the word made flesh. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection and his coming again. We thank you this morning, Lord, for the word revealed to us through your Holy Spirit that guides us in your truth. And all these things we say, amen, amen. So as I said before, now my clicker's not working. Oh man, I am in, there, oh, there we go. As I said before, we ended last week with this verse, verse 17, 
For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's where we ended. Peter is speaking to first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted at the time. And he is telling them, these ones that might say, might say, I think it would be a little easier though, Peter. I think it would be a little easier if we just kind of went along. I think it would be just a little bit easier. We wouldn't be in all this persecution if we just kind of changed some of our words. I think it would be a little easier. But Peter doesn't say that. Peter doesn't go toward the easy part of it. He says, it would be, it is better. It is better to suffer for doing good that if that should be God's will, than doing evil. So it's no surprise to me when we start off verse 18, when he says, for Christ also suffered for, meaning Peter's now going to give them a biblical example to point at, to say, okay, here's my reasoning for saying that last statement. For Christ also suffered. So also, just as you are suffering, Jesus suffered also. If you're, wa- if you're suffering for doing good, if you're suffering for doing good, all you got to do is look back at Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who was suffering for doing good and following faithfully in his father's will, following his father's will. Now, the comparison with Jesus never equals. Okay, when we point back to Jesus, don't equal yourself with Jesus because it never equals when we're talking about Jesus. And so that's why he qualifies here when he says once for sins. Can you do that? No. No, there's only one who can do once for sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's only Jesus can do that. Once for sins. Righteous for the unrighteous. Who can only do that? Only Jesus can do that. He is the righteous one. We are the unrighteous. The only righteousness we have is because of His righteousness in in, in following after Father's will and dying on the cross for our sins. And His righteousness is imputed upon us That's the only way we have any type of righteousness. So he's the only one that can do that. And that he might bring us to God. Who can do that? Only him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. Through me. So you start to see, we point back to Jesus and say, Jesus suffered also. And Jesus suffered for doing good. And Jesus suffered while doing his Father's will. But always remember what Jesus did is always greater than us. Okay. Always greater than us. How did he bring us to God? He ends it with being put to death in the flesh. That's the cross and made alive in the spirit. That's the empty tomb. That's the resurrection. That's how that happened. Okay. Now we get to verse 19 and 19. Some commentators say 19 and 20 kind of in there is some of the hardest verses in all of the new Testament to interpret. The hardest ones in the, all of the New Testament to interpret. If you have a study Bible and it has study notes in it, okay, when you get to that verse in your study notes there, some study Bibles will have just one version of it, one, one interpretation of it. Some other study Bibles will have three or four different versions of this, uh, uh, interpretations of this verse this morning. So we're just going to wade in and go into this verse, verse 19, but I want to give a disclaimer. I want to give a disclaimer here because I'm going to teach you one way, but I want you to know it's not the only way that you could look at this verse, okay? It's not the only way. 
what I've realized is that the, the interpretations that we have of this verse, typically what happens is when we get to verse 19, some people will take verse 19 and tie it to verse 18. And therefore, they get their interpretation of it, drawing off of verse 18. Some people take verse 19 and they tie it to verse 20. And when they do that, then they get their interpretation from that direction, okay? So here's the disclaimer. Biblical teachers have differing views on the next few verses, credible views, have biblical references to back up their interpretations of these verses. So it's not to point fingers at anybody or anything like that. They, they all have strong stances on this that they find in the scriptures. This is how I make sense, Adam. This is how I, Adam, this little Adam, Twining, Michigan, 182 in the whole town. Son of a janitor and son of a kindergarten teacher. That's how, this is how Adam, Adam does this, okay? Adam makes sense of these verses in the context with what we've been reading in Peter. So I, I tend to look at it and say, okay, what have we been learning in the whole book of 1 Peter? And what's Peter been trying to communicate to these first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted? And what could be the reasoning behind this verse in this place and which way that it would go to? So in verse 19, it starts off with that second sentence there, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. That's the verse. That's the, in, the hard verse. I look at this, back to the first sentence, I look at this as the start of Peter going from his Jesus example, which is always greater in every way to us, onto his human example of Noah. Because that's, that's, what, he, that's what he does here. He, he goes from pointing to Jesus and saying, Look at Jesus. Jesus suffered also. But then he turns and he says, now let me give you a human example. I want to tell you about Noah. Let's look at Noah. And when you look at this verse in which he went and proclaimed the spirits in prison, you have some questions that just arise out of it. Who are the spirits in prison? When were they proclaimed to these spirits in prison? And then how did Jesus proclaim to them? Okay, how did he proclaim to them? So when you look at that verse, you, again, you're either going backwards or forwards. So if you're going backwards into verse 18, you would tie it to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what many versions do, many interpretations do that. They tie it back to when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. Here's some activities that happened during that time that he proclaimed the spirits in heaven, or spirits in prison, spirits in prison. Um, but if you go forward, this is what I read in verse 20, because they, now they are the spirits in prison, formerly did not obey. So we know they are disobeying spirits. When, that's a time frame word, when God's patience waited in, that's another time frame word, in the days of Noah, while, that's another time frame word, while the ark was being prepared, that's another time frame word. When I look at this, I say, who are the spirits in prison? I say, well, it's those that are disobedient during the time of Noah. During, when, when, is when Noah was on the earth and he was building the ark. So we're talking about that time frame. But then the question, how was Jesus proclaimed? How was Jesus proclaimed? That's where we're getting to. And when I look at all of 1 Peter, he's been pointing out to 
the readers, first century Gentile Christians, he's been pointing out to them that this salvation that they have, that is so precious, that God planned, that Jesus purchased, that the Spirit is polishing, this salvation was spoken of by the prophets. It was prophesied, I can't even say it this morning, prophesied by the prophets, this righteousness that was to come. So if you have your scripture journals, if you go back to chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, Peter said these words concerning this salvation. The salvation God planned, Jesus purchased, spirit polished. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So where did the righteousness come from? It was proclaimed through the prophets to the people of God, okay? And in verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. Another verse that points that direction or just kind of describes what was going on pre-Jesus on, physically on this earth is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 just the opening verses of that book, when it says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. So how was righteousness proclaimed to the forefathers? It was through the prophets, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Okay, so he's establishing that before Christ, Uh, there was a a heralding of righteousness to the people about righteousness through the prophets, through the prophets. So I'm going to dig a little deeper here, but I, I tie it to verse 20 to say, Jesus, the righteousness of him was being proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Our spirits are in prison until we are born again. We are in prison until we are born again. We are not free until we are born again. The spirits in that time, in Noah's time, were in prison, and they were preached to, they were proclaimed this righteousness through the words of Noah, and also his conduct. What has Peter been talking about to these first century Gentile Christians? Make sure that your conduct is holy. Make sure of that. And then when you have an opportunity, what do you do? You speak unto him. So let's go back, just like Peter says, let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. Take a look at Noah's day. This is, he will bring up Noah a second time that we'll see. He uses this example from the Old Testament. But listen to the account of Noah. Listen to what Noah's day was like and then relate it to first century Gentile Christians who are being persecuted at this time, okay? This is the account of Noah, starting in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and 
and the earth. So make for yourself, here's the instruction, so make for yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath and life in it. That's God's determined will. God said this is going to happen. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish a covenant with you. Another, God says he is making this covenant with Noah, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will, will come to you. God is performing this. God is the one who is making this happen. All these creatures will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. And then the most important verse, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah took the word of God, the words from God, and then he put it into action. He did everything in that sense. How long did this happen? Well, most believe that it took about 120 years. If you go back to verse 3, then the Lord said, the spirit, my spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be about 120 years. 120 years. If we now jump ahead in our scripture journal to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Peter brings up this example again. He brings up this example of Noah again. And he says, if he did not spare the ancient world, meaning God, if God did not spare the ancient world, what's Peter doing right there? He's saying this actually happened. He's stating this as a fact. If God did not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah, and then he, he calls him something. But he doesn't call him the builder of the ark. He calls him a herald of righteousness. That's how he describes Noah, a herald of righteousness. A herald is someone who proclaims, who is vocalized out. He proclaims righteousness with, um, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world and the ungodly. So Peter, when he, expl when he, ex when he explains Noah, he brings out that point that he didn't just build the ark, but he was also a herald of that righteousness, a proclaimer of righteousness to the people for at least 120 years. Another place to see this is back in Hebrews again. In Hebrews chapter 11 is the um, chapter of the heroes of the faith, and Noah is in there. Noah, verse 7, verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, God tells him what's going to happen before he ever sees it, in holy fear, so in respect to God, in respect because he reverenced God and who he was, and because of his relationship with God, it, with holy fear, built an ark to save his family. 
And by faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness. Righteousness that comes by faith. So he not only, he, he heard the Lord, he obeyed, he put his action into, into play, his conduct in building this ark, but at the same time, it, he condemned the world, he condemned that. That's another vocal point. He was also vocally saying to the world what was going to happen, okay? Now, when I look at all that, I say, how are the Christians of Peter's time like Noah? How are they? They're probably feeling like Noah. This world is terrible. It's utterly evil what's going on. And Peter has told them to continue to be faithful. Think of Noah, 120 years, building this ark. But at the same time he's building this ark, his conduct is saying, I'm being faithful to my God who told me what to do. He's also proclaiming to them about his God. He's doing the same thing. And that's what Peter has been explaining to the first century Gentile Christians. That your conduct needs to show that you are faithful to your God. And when you have opportunity, with gentleness and respect, your words are also to proclaim to proclaim Him. And then it, that verse ends with, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. This is how I tie it together. Just as Jesus spoke through Moses, Noah's conduct and words in his evil day and brought him to safety. So Jesus speaks through us in our evil day and will bring us to safety. He wants us to relate the situation that we're in, not only to Jesus, but always Jesus is way more than us, okay? But also to Noah and say, Noah lived through perilous times. And what did Noah do? Noah was faithful to what God said to do, and he was also faithful proclaiming it, okay? Now, just jump into another controversy. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. I'm glad the verse doesn't end there. What is this? Baptism, which corresponds to this. The this goes back to the verse before, is the act brought safely through God's judgment. That's the this. Baptism it, it corresponds to this picture that, wait a minute, an ark was built, but the ark was built because there was a man who was faithful to God that there was an ark. And the whole idea behind that was that there was a God behind all of that that brought those that were faithful safely through his judgment safely through his judgment. Corresponds means a thing that formed after some pattern. So as the ark was a sign of a deliverance to safety from God's wrath, we look at baptism as a sign of a deliverance to safety from God's wrath. When someone is baptized, it's like pointing to the ark. We don't point to the ark and say, that's the whole deal. No, that's just a sign of someone who was faithful to God who built the ark, and God had the whole plan. He gave out all the instructions on how this was to be done, and that man was faithful to what God had planned and said, and he got on the ark. And God is the one that brought him safely through. We look at baptism that way. It's a sign. Someone gets baptized. We look at that and say, something else has happened here, and it's not because of them. 
It's because of what Jesus did on a cross and what Jesus did by rising from the grave and what Jesus did by ascending into heaven and saying He is coming again. That's what happened. And Peter helps us out when he says, not as the removal of dirt from the body. I mean, he wants us to have an accurate understanding of baptism. Baptism always points to something else. It always points to something else. But as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how one is saved. We are saved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism follows as a sign of this appeal, of this response. And I take you back to the thief on the cross. We talked about that last week. The thief on the cross. At one point, he is cursing the man in the center cross. But then something happens. God touches him. God opens his eyes. He turns and he sees Jesus differently. He goes from cursing the man on the center cross to calling that man on the center cross king. King Jesus. And he responds to him. Supernatural event that's happening right there. Okay? Baptism follows this appeal. It follows us saying, responding to Jesus that way. Our eyes have been opened and we see that He is King. He is Savior. He is the only way. And so we respond to Him. And then we follow that up with saying, I'm baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm baptized in this name. In this name. So, um, I think I read this last week, but I'll read it again. Hebrews 9, I've been pulling a lot from Hebrews 9.14. When he says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, so there's the cross, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, so there's the faithfulness of Christ and God's will and to the cross to fulfill it, that says cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death. What happened on that cross is your conscience was cleansed. Your sins were forgiven. Those sins were, the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of eternal life, gift of God is eternal life. So he cleansed our conscience from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And it's amazing. It, it, when Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that, he doesn't say, yeah, you, you got out of jail free card. You got your jail, get out of jail free card, so you're all set kind of thing. He doesn't say that. You, you did. He says that now that your conscience has been cleansed, serve God. Serve the living God. So, just to say it one more time, we are not saved through the act of baptism, but the act of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how you were saved. That's the only way that you can be saved. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ because He went to the cross. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried in the grave. He rose on the third day, verifying everything that He said. He ascended into heaven. That's what saves you, not the act of baptism. Baptism is always just a pointing back to what someone else did. Someone else did. So He ends this with verse 22, where is Jesus now? Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. And I put down there, Peter could have added, I'm an eyewitness. I was there. I saw him go. I saw him go. He didn't say that, but he could have. He's gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, having been subjected to him. Now, 
This is kind of a conclusion from his start in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, when he says, Beloved, and he says, Abstain from the passions of the flesh. And he starts into this whole section about this instruction given to all of us, given to the slaves, given to the wives, given to the husbands, and everything. And now he finishes it with saying, Okay, who will see all of this come to pass? Who will see that you get safely to the other shore, you being faithful to him? Uh, the one that's at the right hand of the Father. And he's not only at the right hand of the Father, but all the angels and authorities and powers are subjected to him. So you're following the most powerful, the most holy. And you know how we always, I keep pulling us back to Peter or to Paul. You know, like Peter says something, Paul says something very similar. Romans chapter 8, I don't have it on your sheet there anywhere, but Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Paul says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Does that sound like he's over everything? Yeah, all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And then that takes me back to verse 13 in this chapter when Paul, Peter said, now who is there to harm you? Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Who is there to harm you? There's no one to harm you spiritually. No one at all. So. Let me bring this up to today, okay? And I'll finish with this. We, we live in a world that's running from God. We do. And it's evident everywhere. It's evident everywhere. There, our world is running from God. It's not running to God. It's running from God. And if you want evidence of that, just look at churches. Churches that have, are no longer. Church bodies that are no longer. Or churches that have diminishing uh, congregations. It, we're running from God. Um, we live in a world that's trying to replace the God of the Bible. Yeah, we, we try to make God in our image rather than we are created in the image of God. And that's even happening in churches, where churches, denominations are trying to rewrite the Bible or, or make God out to be something other than what it says he is. So we live in that kind of world. And we live in a world that is turning on those who fear God. When I say fear God, I mean that those that respect God, that are following those mandates, that are saying, I am serving Him and I am walking in, walking in His steps. We live in a world that is turning on those who fear God. And you know that. You've heard the reports and seen them. You can, we're living in a time where you could lose your job because you're a Christian. You could lose your job by saying a little too much about Jesus Christ. You could not get a job because you say a little bit too much about Jesus Christ or about what the Word of God says. We live in that time. We live in a time when, when it, it, what was honored and revered and cherished about Christianity is now almost like it's, it's offensive. You're not doing anything different. You're not saying anything different, but it's offensive. 
So let me give you an example. I've given this example for the last 10 years. People, they'll come up to me afterwards and go, man, it's never going to happen, Adam. Never going to happen. So this is just me. This is Adam. This is not in the Bible. This is not, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I've said this for 10 years. There will be a day. There will be a day when we, what we have uh, appreciated and, and benefited from or whatever is that churches are non-taxed. We're non-profit. We're non-taxed. So our property is non-taxed. Our building is non-taxed and, and everything else. We, we live, we've lived in that day. There will be a day. There will be a day when we will be. Or the government or the state will come along and say, you know what, you need to follow our moral code because they are developing their whole moral code. And they will say, you need, if you want to stay non-taxed, if you want to say non-profit, then you need to follow our moral code. If you don't follow our moral code, then sorry, we're going to pull this status from you. Okay? Three things going to happen. Number one, there will be some churches that will say, okay, we don't believe in that. But we're just going to go along with it, okay? We're just going to, we don't believe it on, on ground level. We don't believe it, okay? But we're just going to go along with it because what else could we do, you know, kind of thing. Man, this would be detrimental and everything else. And so we'll just, we'll just kind of go, we don't believe it, but we're just going to go, go along with it, okay? Now, why can I say that? Because it's already happening. Because there are denominations, I'm not talking about this one, but there are denominations out there that have, have on their higher ranking, have walked away from what the Word of God says. And then there's been churches down here on the local level, on the local level, that say, now we don't believe with what they're promoting up there, but what can we do? What can we do? We're just, we're just kind of going to go along with it, okay? There's churches like that. Second thing that could happen is that churches would say, well, they said so, so we'll just go along with it. They said so, and, and actually some of those churches will do it because they've started to believe it. They've started to believe the message that, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe those scriptures don't really say that. Maybe, maybe it's kind of this or that, you know, and everything, and you've been so indoctrinated by the moral code of the world that what the Bible says now takes second place. And there will be some churches that will just go along with that. and. How do I say that? Because that's happening. There are those denominations that are changing what's up here, and the whole churches are doing the exact same thing. Walking away from God's Word. Third one is my favorite one. Why? Because I hope there would be a few, and I want to be a part of one. I hope there would be a few that when that came, comes down the pike, you raise your hand and say, uh, no. No, I mean, if the consequence is, if the consequence is we lose our tax status and we don't become, we're, we're taxed on our building and our property and all that, my relationship with God is more important than my tax status. I would hope that there would be some that would raise their hand and say, no. Now, would that meant that would be something, wouldn't it? I mean, taxing this property and this building and everything else and put that baby into the budget and kind of figure all that out, you know? And we would do it. We would do it. I'm not afraid of that whatsoever. Actually, what would happen most likely is, again, the true church would rise up and say, our, we take our cues 
from the one who gave Noah cues to build the ark. That's where we take our cues from. And we follow after what He says. And I want to be faithful to Him. So as Jesus was faithful, as Jesus was faithful to the Father, as Noah was faithful to the Father, as the apostles were faithful to the Father, as the first century Gentile Christians are faithful to the Father, we are to, and we go back to these mandates, I hope these get seared into your head, we are to proclaim the excellencies of Him called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are to follow in His steps, in His words and His ways. We are to bless others. We return with something different than what they give to us. We always keep them in view of them knowing about Jesus. And number four, we give a defense of the hope that is within us. And that hope, that the defense that we have is not ourselves. It's Him, right? It's Him. Lord, I need You. Oh, I need You. You know this song? Every hour I need You. You're my one defense. My righteousness. Oh God, how I need You. As the worship team comes up, um, I've said this before, when you preach a sermon and from God's Word, um, usually now there's two ways it can be taken. One way is that there might be some here where your eyes have been opened by God and you see that He is the Savior of the world. You're like the thief hanging on the cross and you don't see Him as someone to despise anymore. No, He, he is your King and therefore you submit to Him. You surrender. He surrendered His life for you. You surrender your life to Him. And so there can be in these seasons, in these sermons like this, people that are confronted with their condition and they come to Jesus Christ. That's one group. That's one way. Always, though, when we're preaching, we're also talking to the saints, the ones who have been following after God. And sometimes when we look at this, we, we realize that, wait a minute, the one, he has been faithful, but lately I have not. And so sometimes it's looking at this and, and, and there's a confession that goes on for us as followers of Jesus Christ, that I need to keep in step with the one who is faithful, who is always more faithful than me, but I'm trying to keep in step with him. Because if I keep in step with him, He's the one that will take me safely over there. He's the one that will get me to the other side. It won't come by my own efforts. It comes because of what He has done. And so sometimes we as Christians need to be reminded of that and come back to being saying, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I have not been faithful in XYZ. Well, whatever. I've not been faithful, and I need to be faithful. So let's stand in prayer, and we'll close in the song. So Heavenly Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for this passage of Scripture, even though it's a difficult passage to interpret, but I'm thankful that Peter, Peter is giving encouragement to who he's writing to in a, in a very perilous, hostile time. 
And he's calling them to be faithful as you have been faithful, as Noah has been faithful. To not only their conduct, that that would be holy unto you, but also that they would be heralds of righteousness. Proclaimers of it, Lord. So I pray for anyone this day that they've come here and their eyes have been opened and they see you not as just a guy, another guy hanging on the cross, but you are the Savior of the world. And they respond to you with asking for forgiveness, rising in obedience to follow after you. And I pray for us saints, Lord, who have been walking with you that at times we stray, we vary, and we need to be reminded again and again that we need to follow you no matter what. No matter what. You will bring us safely home. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing to him. Well, as I dismiss you today, a couple reminders. I don't think Dan Chessman is here today. There he is. Okay. Uh, he's going to be leading a prayer group over here for those of you who wish to pray for your needs or the needs of someone else. And uh, a reminder, uh, the elders are having a Q&A session on the uh, transition team The uh, after the second service on the 23rd. That's uh, two weeks from two weeks from today, I guess. Uh, so uh, uh, anyone is invited, everyone is invited, and, and please voice your concerns and get your questions asked, answered. And uh, one of the uh, elders will be, I think there's going to be two of us, Scott Aberdeers, and I will be in the library uh, right after this service and after the second service to, to again, answer any questions that are on your mind. Uh, I'm going to dismiss with a... Uh, uh, some words from my my biblical hero David. Uh, here we go. One nineteen, starting with verse eighty one. My soul faints for longing for you, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pitfalls for me contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. They almost wipe me from the earth but I have not forsaken your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. Have a great week, everybody, and uh, hang in there. Endure what's happening on earth today. It's not our home. <laughs>